Hello, this is Nicole and you're listening to Everybody Wants to Love You. It is a podcast about sex, love, relationships and things that people normally don't say. We are just hopping in at the head of the podcast to tell you how to get in touch with us because we would love, love, love to hear from you, especially with your scintillating, salacious problems. And if you want to reach out to us, you can hit us up at everybodywantstolovepod at gmail.com. Just make a voice note on your phone and attach it to your email. That's the easiest way to get in touch with us. I'm also uh, running our Instagram account, which is Love You Pod. So we're posting all sorts of reels and contents and over on our stories, questions, polls, so we can get really your input on how the podcast uh, can be run. We also have the link over there for our Discord community, our secret sexy uh, society, a la Eyes Wide Shut, that we're building from the ground up. So you can we- turn up to the party in your mask being best friends with a piano player and hopefully make it all happen. So this is our second episode where we interview our friend Constantine, an interesting flaneur and artist living in Berlin, formerly in New York, and he tells us all about his life growing up across continents with the gay sex life of the 80s and 90s and into the noughties and 2000s and how things have changed for him and for New York and Berlin. We love Constantine. He's one of our first uh, friends that we made in Berlin and I don't know, uh, I, I just love listening to him talk and we hope you enjoy it as well. It's a little bit longer than the first episode but we hope you enjoy. So again, if you want to contact us, we are at everybody wants to love pod at gmail.com or you can also contact us over on Instagram and do join the Discord. I want sexy things to happen. You'll be the first one. <laughs> Yo, not gonna lie, this sound gets me hard as a fucking rock. Yo! I'm afraid so, Brad. But isn't it nice? I'm very shallow and empty and I have no ideas and nothing interesting to say. I'm exactly the same way. If I had a steak, I would fuck it. For God's sake, Sammy, every boy speaks of a latency period. Is this actor thing? Mm. Are you doing actor yeah. things? Yeah, voice. I, any more? Can 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 you teach me any more? Just a re- lip trip travel. Like a like thrilling, like a. Yeah. To the range. Oh. Oh. To the whole, oh. so that your voice is full and uh-huh. you're not, um, fucklem, um, you're not. Like flemmy? Um, uh, <laughs> constricted. You're listening to our new podcast about sex, love, and all the other things that matter, but which we yes. ignore and hide and secrete away in our darkest, deepest places. And we are joined by the marvelous, unique, indescribable, in his own words, Constantine. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Aww. Yeah, uh, we, we, we did one last week where we were, just, we were on the couch with just little, hit little tiny mics, because it was more, you know, less intimidating for us. Mm-hmm. But we only have two tiny mics, so you are confronted with the big, well, the, the at least phallic, uh, lumpen, <laughs> Pitch black microphone. Pitch black microphone. Mm. <laughs> so Constantine, um, c- can you tell the universe a little bit about yourself, your your background, how you came to Berlin, who you are, what gets you going? Where do we start? Well, the first, what brought me to Berlin? Well, I came here as a child already. Ah. So I know Berlin quite well, but um, I've been in and out for years, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, but now I've been here solidly for ten years, and to 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 
to approach from a very great distance the the overarching topic of our conversation how is berlin um as a as a as a person who who is you know single and you know compared to you lived in new york before mm -hmm. so how is the universe of dating and sleeping with people and so on here The universe of dating, well, I, I'd say people don't really, you know, they don't date. You know, that's sort of an American thing, which has now come over here through, because of internet, you know, it's called a date now. But earlier, you know, years, years ago, you wouldn't have called it a date. You would just make an appointment. A rendezvous is what you would say. <laughs> you know, I have a rendezvous with somebody. Now it's the American thing has taken over and it's called a date. But date now has the connotation that you're going to have sex because online dating is really a sexual thing, at least in the gay world. Mm. Mm. So is there, so obviously like in, in, in Gayland, there's, people just can meet to just hook up with no date. So is there like, a, is there a date that's like different to that, that there's more expectation that there's going to be an emotional part or is this just a different, you know, for people who aren't as comfortable with just fucking without talking or whatever? I don't think anybody goes on these things looking for an, I, well, deep down they're probably looking for an emotional connection, but they're going about it in the wrong way. You know, they think, well, I'll have sex and then that'll, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a dispiriting description of contemporary Berlin gay life. Mm. And yeah. uh, but how does how, so? Do you think it, it was different? Um, it was less. Um, what's the word? Uh, I don't know. Um, less mercenary in New York. No, I think New York was really just cut. Just cut to the chase. I want sex. Well, look, I haven't been in New York in over ten years, so I can't really say. But when I did live there, it was really just sex-based, without any, it was, everything was called no strings, with no strings. Mm -hmm. And here nobody says that, but there are no strings anyway. <laughs> oh no, so you don't even have a label that you can depend on. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. I feel like I'm such a romantic um, mm -hmm. that it's hard for me to think of like, you know, uh, sleeping with someone and not like thinking, Like people have ulterior motives where they're like, oh, well, we're going to sleep together, but we're both secretly hoping that something will happen. Like, Aww. I know, I know, I know. But also, it's been a while since I've been on the dating scene, too. And I feel like my when I was dating, I had much more of a greener like look towards mm. uh, that kind of thing. But I guess my question is, do you think that there's more people in the gay world um, that do want more than just like, you know, uh, no strings attached to sex, but people just aren't talking about it. Yes, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. I think deep down they are all seeking a connection, you know, yeah. but, but they don't know how to go about it. And so it's a front to say no strings or it's just loose and casual. Mm -hmm. And then they get attached. You know, mm -hmm. if this continues, if they meet someone, let's just say they met someone and they had sex or had a date, as it were, um, and then they, they form an attachment, and uh, there's a deeper meaning to it than there's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Do you think it's, because I feel like the rules changed, obviously, you know, the church 
uh, all of the churches lost their power right in 50s, 60s, and the rules of Western society around sex changed. Mm-hmm. But it's not so long ago. I feel like the dust maybe is still settling. Maybe do you think it will go somewhere else? There'll be a new set of rules because I feel like there's like a reactionary anti-sex thing happening right now, uh, a little bit um, with 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 Zoomers, you know, people in their twenties where they're like, yeah, casual sex is really exploitative and consent isn't enough and you know all this kind of stuff. Um, so I just wonder if that's just you know the circle. You know, sometimes people are more conservative, sometimes they're more liberal, or if it's we're still the sexual revolution is still settling and there's going to be a new order where there's more rules around things. You know, maybe there's you only you're only allowed date in certain ways or sex is separated from love in some way or something like that. Well, these recent uh, events like Me Too and whatever they're all called, I, you know, I don't follow anything. I don't read the newspapers and I, d- I just look briefly at the headlines. So I don't, I, you know, it's hard for me to say, but I notice with the young kids, um, they're not as free as we were, uh, as I was at the same age, you know. I had a different problem. I had AIDS. You know, AIDS was a big problem because... <laughs> you, you make it sound like you contracted it. No, I, I, I mean, AIDS was prevalent at the yeah. time. So that was, you know, that, that kind of put um, the kibosh on so much. But you talk, we've talked about this before and yeah. you've said that, you know, it surprisingly didn't really affect um, kind of the libertine nature of gay culture in New York. At least people didn't, they kind of pretended it wasn't happening or there was... Well, there was a split, I think, when all those, if we're going to talk about that, you know, these anti-retroviral, I think they're called, um, they came out and that sort of helped things a bit. But then there was sort of, there, out of that, out of the split came uh, a rather militant uh, group of um, people who said, well, we don't care, we're not going to use condoms, we don't care about safer sex, and... Um, yeah. And do you think that was that was people like trying to hold on to their sexual freedom that they had had or that they thought that they were going to have when they were kind of young, like you know, before they got to the big city and then they were like, I want to have it. Or, or was it just a reaction against like fear? I don't know. I think it's a reaction against fear that they weren't going to go, you know, we're not going to be fearful of this and we're going to enjoy our lives while we can. And um, and, you know, for men, sex is a big thing, isn't it? Well, for everybody, I guess. Yeah. What do you think, Nicole? Is it just for men? Well, <laughs> sex is just for men. Yeah, no, but I, like I, I, I get what you're saying, and I feel like um, if you look at and if you look at like same-sex relationships between like you know men, man on man versus women on women, how like gays and lesbians approach sex is it's very different mm. you know and that's why I, I suppose why hookup culture is like this you know stuff like grinder. I can imagine like it just works because men can just like meet up have sex and it'll be done in 10 minutes and they have that urge and it's like whereas women have an extra layer to that there's obviously still you know that sexual desire but you know, I, I'm bisexual, so I've obviously been on, like, many dates with women and stuff, and it's, like, attraction does play, you know, a part, clearly, but it's much more about that connection with talking to the person and, you know, almost like making a, a new friend sort of thing um, mm. that I find really interesting. And it's funny when you put just two men together, 
it's just like okay let's just fuck yeah it's a visual thing and that grinder and all of those websites take care of that because then you're selecting mm -hmm. what you want from the supposed photo you suppose that the person is going to be <laughs> real <laughs> how much how, what percent of the time are they are they not like the photo Oh, very often. Oh, really? really? Yes, very often. And what you do, you just you at that point you're just like, oh, I'm in, I'm in now. I might as well finish, or do you, do you just leave? Oh, there's various things that happen. Uh, like in New York, I had a door slammed in my face before I even entered the apartment. Wait, so you were the one who didn't look like the photo? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, did you have a photo of someone else, or? Uh, and then I did the same thing, not as a copycat, but I just. You know, he arrived and, and I said, no, it's not going to work out. I wasn't rude and slammed the door, but mm -hmm. I just said, no, this isn't... That happened to me several times. I mean, I only got the door slammed in my face once. Because you had used a fake photo, No, too. I didn't use a oh, fake okay. photo. He, it wasn't he, well, his visual expectation of me. It was a real photo of myself, but it wasn't what he... He had some other um, visual connection he was interested in a specific thing, and when he didn't see that, then it was like, bye. It's interesting, I think, how like preferences emerge in times of plenty. You know, like let's make a really silly example. You know, we were we were just in Venice there a month ago or whatever, and uh, we're at the Guggenheim, and you know, the Peggy Guggenheim in Venice has that great collection of like abstract expressionist paintings and, and surrealist paintings from when she was married to Max Ernst um, during and after World War Two, and I mean somebody like that can go I have all of this money and resources I shall select exactly this collection and create it and, and in a way I mean one of the big differences between you know being a straight man and being a gay man uh, on, you know, I guess it differs depending on the person but is the access right so like if you're like reasonably good looking and you're gay you can kind of go for whatever it is you want mm -hmm. if you want like ginger haired bears you know, that are six foot three, you can probably find that. And if you are only interested in, I don't know, um, like Indian guys who have a mustache, you can find that too. Whereas if you're like a straight guy, unless you're very wealthy, very rich, or like very, very, very charismatic, I guess, um, it's not a, it's not a begging, beggars can't be choosers situation, but it's more of a, you, you, you have to cast a wider net than that, you know? I mean, you can aspirationally want whatever you want, but you won't, you won't necessarily get it, like, ever. Well, they ha I mean, everybody has a fixed idea, don't they? They have, they have the things, that they have their preferences, you know, they want X, Y, and Z, and um, they're looking for that. They, they're they, want to, they want to fulfill that, that, that picture they have. They're looking for somebody that their fantasy will fulfill. They, I think everybody has somehow a type, and they, they go for that, you know, which is, uh, then, then yes, sex, sexuality or sex is then a visual thing. And that has nothing to do with love. I don't, I don't, for me, I think it's more than visual, right? Because you, know, you were talking about, both of you guys were talking about how this kind of idea that you would just meet someone and hook up and it's just visual. And for me, it's never been like that. You know, um, I've had hookups with people and they've been, more like little mini romances, you know, where we meet up and we have a date and I, there's a kind of a connection and we go home together. Um, and, and I don't see that bright line, you know, because there is no equivalent for me. It's not like I can go to a glory hole and there's going to be a girl on the other side. So it, it's not even been an option, but I don't know if it, even if it was, I don't know if I would want it, but it's certainly not how my life has been. So for me, it's always been that part of 
it's not the the, the lesbian cliche, you know, yeah. we're bringing the U-Haul on the first date or whatever yeah. it is. But there, it's it's also not. I just want to fuck, and I managed to trick this woman for tonight into. It's not that. It's it's more. It's more romantic than that. It's more yearning than that. Mm. I think it's really interesting to uh, talk about types because I have a, a interesting perspective on that. Uh, in that, I have a very uh, particular type when it comes to women. Um, like I have like a like a type which is like rough as a dog's arse. Rough as a dog's arse. <laughs> lovely no. <laughs> lovely Irish expression there. Um, no, it's kind of it's very stereotypical. But if you know, you know the kind of Shane type. So there was a show called The L Word, and um, there's this character in it, and she is this. Uh, she kind of looks like a 1970s like rock star. Yeah, but, but a male one. Yeah, exactly. So like skinny and like boyish with the leather pants. But for, like on a guy, I'm like, eh, it's fine. You know, I, I, I like Steven Tyler, but he's he's very feminine, actually. He's got those lips. <laughs> he's got those gorgeous lips. Um, but on a woman, I just find like just irresistible. Um, but when it comes to men, I don't really have a type. It's very strange. So we have a we have some questions yes. that we're going to ask our guests, you know. And um, so the first one is about, um, you know, your your adolescent memories around romance and love and the ones that stick out to you and especially the ones that are kind of embarrassing or ridiculous. I mean, you must have a few. Well, there was a neighbor, of course, right? Okay. And yeah. uh, there was a neighbor and and I was living in an empty house in, in the States and I just yeah I, I guess I didn't really think so much about sex before that but I sort of got awakened by it through him when he was mowing his lawn it was almost like it hit me you know he was mowing his lawn in these these shorts and they were very colorful and it was almost like the rainbow flag with, you know, rain, rain, <laughs> rain, rainbow, rainbow, rainbow flag shorts. But the rainbow flag didn't really exist at that time. And I remember him mowing. He was like up and down. He had these incredibly muscular legs and he was, you know, the physique. And um, yeah. And I guess that kind of awakened my, um, yeah, yearnings for romantic because I kind of imagined myself you know, inviting him over, and you know, I, I, I thought, well, how would one go about doing that? Like, I guess I'd have to ask him, and then what would the room look like? I mean, I, do I like? Because I, I guess I had been informed by all these kitsch um, soap operas and and things like that that you'd have to have candles and and wine and you know to make it clear that you know it's going to be an evening, right? <laughs> So that's what hits me when you ask me that question. Well, that, that leads on to a second question, which is when you, when you were, what age were you at this? Oh, I must have been about 15. Okay, so, so do, would you have known about what, you know, what sex was, especially like gay sex or what people do? No, I don't think I was clear about penetration. So, you know, the, so that one would, could penetrate the other. I don't think so. I don't think I had fucking on my mind at that time. So it was like a romantic thing more. It was like, we'll, yeah. we'll have a smooch it, maybe. Or... Yeah, it was kind of like a tumble around maybe on the floor mm. or something mm -hmm. like that. But I don't think 
I didn't think about penis going into ass. How, how poetic. Um, I, I guess, no, the reason, I mean, I, I asked because I'm trying to, you know, for me, like thinking back to when I was very young, because I, I was one, the, I'm one of these people that had crushes and infatuations from my, you know, as long as I can remember, three years old in, we call it play school, Kita here in, in Germany, where, you know, I saw a little girl and there was a light shining out of her and I couldn't talk to her because I was so nervous. And even further back when I was two, I remember, you know, talking to all the girls in the neighborhood and can, they were kind of, you know, playing with me because I was the little kid and just being like, they're so pretty. And I, at some point you want something, mm-hmm. but you don't have an idea of what it is. It's, it's a really strange thing. It's like um, it's like a drug you 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 you've never had, but you you're already addicted to or something. Mm. So we're talking about romance now. We're not talking about sex. Oh, I don't know. I never, I never thought there was a difference, really. But. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Mm. It, for me, anyway, of when it comes to uh, thinking back on like first uh, feelings towards people, I feel like I always knew what sex was in a weird way. Like, um, I'm pretty sure my my mother like told me like the the birds and the bees when I was like five or something and I just kind of inherently like kind of knew or I can't really remember I can't piece it together how I figured out the rest um (laughs) and how my mother told me we were watching um that god-awful uh 90s movie um look who's talking with uh Kirstie Alley and John Travolta (laughs) yeah and they um the movie starts with them having like a one-night stand and then you see literally like the sperm, the like talking sperm going into the egg or whatever. Stolen from Woody Allen. Stolen from Woody Allen. Um, And yeah, I remember asking my mom like, what's that? And she was like, that's how babies are made. You know, pretty, I mean, as far as like representations of like figuring out what sex was, actually seeing like a sperm going into an egg uh, for a first time figuring out what sex was like, all you, it's all you need to know, really. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty Alley. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my sex education from my parents was my mother, I think I was 16, and she, she had a little book, and she was like, you should look at this. And I was like, I'm 16, you know? I, you left it about 10 years too late. You know, what the heck? Because what I, what I had gotten was from the schoolyard, basically. And, and when I was in school, which is, this is something that I thought was how people were but apparently it's pretty unique to my time and place the kids six seven eight we just talked about sex all the time but like in a really dark way like we talked about like imagine there was (laughs) you were tied to a wall and there was a girl and she was tied to the wall and the two walls were being pushed together and you were squashed together and you both died but you were fucking like that's at like that age i don't know how this was in the air but that was the so my sex education was this weird deviant schoolyard stuff and then like late night channel four semi-pornographic films in, in my early teens i guess what about you Where, what was your sex education well i had none um i i kind of figured it out on my own um i in new york i walked into an apartment um where the door hadn't been locked and i thought it was the apartment of my where I was living with my family, but I walked into the wrong apartment. The door was unlocked, and there were two people. On t- there was a man on top of a woman, and um, and and I was just in shock. And I turned around and left. And it preoccupied me for several days. 
And, um, and I, I told my father, I said, I walked in on a couple and the man was laying down on the woman. And then he, he uh, proceeded to, he, he, he tried to, dis- he, was, yeah, he was going to uh, tell me, you know, what, what they were doing. And when he spoke about their uh, genitalia, I, I got in- incredibly embarrassed. I said, stop, stop, I don't want, you know, I didn't want him to tell me, you know, I didn't want him to explain it to me. So I stopped him right then. He said, oh, you're impossible. You don't want to know about the most natural thing. And, 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 and I, I, you know, I stood my ground and said, I don't want to know anything more. <laughs> wow. And, um, but it, it, it preoccupied me and I drew pictures about it. I, I drew pictures about, because then I figured out that, you know, a penis goes into, you know, the vagina, as they say. Vagina. <laughs> and then I, I, then I started drawing the figures, you know, I started drawing the figures on, on you know, I drew at a very young age, I was drawing and painting <clears throat> even then, and, um, and so I would draw pictures about it. And uh, did you have any um, adverse reactions from adults who saw the pictures and thought you? Yeah, didn't... my father was kind of upset about it, and he said, "You know, this is becoming, you know, why there's so many of these." <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Seth is it Seth Rogen's, you know, Jonah Hill's character in Superbad. In Superbad, which yeah. is you know this comedy movie from from about fifteen years ago, where he's uh, he's he he has this flashback to when he was a kid. He talks about it, yeah. and he went through a period where he just drew penises, and they're they're incredibly detailed, every line and the hairs and the balls. And at some point, you know, an adult discovers his box of they get kicked up into the air and school. No, it's it's a little girl it's that little like <laughs> discovers him. She's like, ah! <laughs> and he's taken to the counselor for intensive treatment. You know? Well, I, yeah, it's it's funny like that 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 brings up that whole thing about like how could you? I mean, we don't have kids, and probably never will. But that is such a difficult thing, right? How how you moderate when you tell them what? Because especially now that they have access to infinite porn, you know. And um, I don't. I think we were. I was like fifteen when I first saw like had access to porn on the internet. Um, I was younger than sixteen. Did you say fifteen? Fifteen. 15. Yeah. Um, I, the first time I ever saw porn, uh, and for some reason I feel embarrassed talking about it because it just feels like unnatural, but I think I was like, like, uh, I want to say like 10. Um, wow, that is young. Yeah. And it actually wasn't even from the internet. It was, um, like by the time I was like that age, um, Bluetooth was a big thing on mobile phones and people would Bluetooth each other like uh, videos and pictures of porn and that's how I like uh, I got Bluetooth like by like a friend like just a porn video and I watched it and I was just like what the fuck is that but we didn't have any of that we didn't have that yeah yeah magazine stands so you know my picture drawing came to an end and I got obsessed with something else Mm -hmm. that I was drawing and um, and but but then I discovered these magazine stands, and there you could um, look at the real, you know, the photographs. And there was Playboy and Playgirl mm. for men, for women, or whatever. It was really for gays, you know. But said it was a woman's magazine. Oh, the dirty secret of Playgirl magazine finally revealed after all these years. <laughs> and um, there was well, there was a whole myriad of of uh, pornographic magazines that you could look at, and then. Later, I discovered the gay ones, and so it went from there. And then, of course, porn hit, you know, porn, porn 
videos was a big thing in the 90s, I think, late 80s, mm-hmm. 90s, and then came the internet. I, I, I remember that too, though, that before the internet was widely available, I guess I must have been younger than so, like 13, 14, going into the big city, Dublin, you know, from my little town and going into the Virgin Megastore because they had, they were sort of an edgy brand or whatever, an edgy store. And they had a section which was kind of cult novels and banned books and dirty books. Mm-hmm. And I remember going in and, you know, opening up whatever the story of O or whatever it was, 120 Days of Sodom or something and just being pervily surrounded by other people who were doing exactly the same thing mm-hmm. other other men between 13 and, and 30 who were kind of sneaking a look at madonna's sex or whatever it was that one i think was was cling filmed you couldn't you couldn't get into it but uh, that was still a thing for sure for for when i was that age yeah. but the internet's a whole you know it's a whole different thing it's one thing to kind of find a magazine in the woods like in stand by me or something and it's a whole other thing to suddenly have access to any words that you can type in you can see you know that's um and i'm like super pro porn but i do think that kids at that age you know you know kids now obviously they can they're using ipads at three four whatever um i want i do wonder like what effect it's going to have on you to well i suppose you don't have to wonder only fans is the answer right <laughs> the generation of people selling themselves online so yeah it's a tricky one because i i suppose like i'm the most like uh, like at least for the purpose of this conversation, I'm the closest like to to that, and you know, I, I learned the the birds and the bees like much younger than either of you, and and saw porn like explicit like uh, content when I, I at what age? I was ten. Ten. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was quite young, but I don't really know how it affected me to be honest. And in terms of like letting people know, like you know, if you're gonna have kids. Um, uh, when do you tell the kids, you know, the, the the birds and the bees? I don't know why I keep saying the birds and the bees. It's just, it's fun. <laughs> to me, I almost would want to approach it the way that it, it happened with me. It's just, I asked uh, when I was quite young and my mother told me and it was never a big thing. It's kind of like, you know, telling a kid they're adopted. Maybe you're just kind of like, you just bring it up early enough right. that it doesn't become like a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, of course, that's the healthy way you you give them the answer that they're ready for and the ages that they're ready for, blah, blah, blah. But, but I guess what I was thinking about is like, if they have a phone, that's kind of beside the point because you're there explaining to them, well, you meet someone and whatever. And they're like, you know, looking up like DP, dungeon, titty clamps, whatever the hell, you know, because yeah. that's right there. And their friends are like, oh my God, check out this. There's a donkey and a woman or whatever, you know. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... <laughs> It's messed up, man. <laughs> because uh, maybe it's also a male thing as well. Because I remember what I did at that age when I got the internet in my house. Um, the first thing that I did, and, and you know, I had a friend who had he built this computer for me because this is like '95, so it was hard to get on the internet, and it was just what is the most fucked up shit I can look up and download, and I want to see more. What's the next thing? Is there a dead person? Oh my God, look at that. And just, there was kind of, and at that, with that era, there were all these shock sites, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Like e was kind of the last one, but there was other, there was loads of them, um, the names of which are long gone now, but you would go on and they would have a mixture of porn and like people dying and the most crazy shit. And because you're a teenager, you're like, yeah, I want to see, it. I want to see, it. oh my God, it's so crazy. You know, And it, but it, some of it was really pretty, pretty messed up. Yeah, I don't have an answer for like how you fix that other than like putting like massive like limits on people's phones. Like yeah, no, kids, I'm not, yeah. I'm not for that either, but 
Well, for the children. Yeah, for the children, exactly. Children, they have to have limitations. Mm-hmm. They, they do, and they really shouldn't have phones at all. That's a whole separate thing. But okay, so it's a ridiculously serious conversation. I have, we have a much more fun question for you, yeah. which again, for all of our, our um, for all of our guests in the future, we will continue to ask. How do you think your preferences have changed in terms of like sexual preferences as the years have gone on? Okay, so that's a that's a good question, Nicole. Um, yeah, I I think that um, I think it, they've changed pretty radically. Like when I was a kid, despite what I just said about you know seeing all this porn and everything, I was like super obsessed with love and romance, and convinced. We talked about this on the last episode. Convinced that yeah. um, that like you you should be you really should be in love with someone if you have sex with them. That that's pre- a prerequisite that you should be in love. And that then love was really important and magical and mysterious. And but I also sort of I had at the same time I was like really into the whole hippie thing and free love seemed really nice and the idea of everyone just being like, Hey, come join us in the in the barn, Gareth, we're all naked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which never happened. Just, you know, in movies or whatever. Um, I don't think that that's a thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Maybe in it was like in that Woodstock. one episode of Mad Men. You know, right. when Roger goes to see his daughter and they're, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, that kind of thing. So I was torn, I guess. And I think, um, yeah, what I'm attracted to has completely changed the kind of people I'm into. I used to be, I used to really like bitchy women who were kind of icy and cruel. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just thought it was so hot. Not to me, not if they're mean to me, but you know, when right. you're at a party and a woman just cuts a man to pieces with a, with a phrase like Mae West, I was like, oh. She's so hot. I loved it. And now now I hate people like that. It's completely changed. Yeah, probably because eventually they started talking that way to you. I think that's it, yeah. yeah. And I think I was one of those, I was lucky enough to to find the people. Okay, I'll give it a specific example. There's a movie called Ghost World. I was just going to say it. I know you well. I was like, yeah. yeah. So it's based on a graphic novel by the uh, the artist Daniel Klaus. Um, and it's about these two girls and they're, you know, they're teenage girls. They've just left school and they're, you know, what, what are we going to do in our lives? And uh, one of them's really angry and bitter and the other one wants to kind of fit in. And it's a really it's a strange, surreal movie. It's very, very kind of beautiful. Um, and the girl, the, the edgy one played by Thora Birch, the character of Enid. I mean, I saw that movie. I was like, she's the hottest. She's such a bitch and she's so edgy and she's so sexual. And, and, and basically what happened was a couple of years later, I ended up dating basically the character from the movie. I met someone who was exactly looked like her, talked like her, everything. And I didn't, wasn't even aware of it until later. And then, you know, I, I dated it and got over it. And I don't, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> you learned your lesson. Yeah. So that's why I was asking those questions earlier, uh, Constantine, about sort of like, I don't know, like when you have access to everything, if things become dull, because for me, it's like there were definitely things, kinds of people I wanted, kinds of things I wanted um, to do. And then I did them and I'm like, OK, well, actually, I'm just over that now. Like I'm over that kind of person. I'm over being treated that way. I'm over whatever. And, and then, you know, now I'm with Nicole, who's like this very different to that, very sweet and, and kind and you know, still a filthy pervert, but you know. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but but not like conflicted and fucked up, and I don't know. It's so that's yeah. Mm. I don't know what I can add to that. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you're still attracted to the same kind of people? Yes, I have a prototype. I have a what is it called? Prototype. I have a, a certain, a fixed idea in my head. I'm. I do. 
um, have a yeah a visual fixation on a certain type of, of man. And does his personality matter, or there you know anything else? Just what? personality. Of, of course, it's everything. Okay. I mean, say, yeah. And did, was there somebody? Was it like a movie star that set that, or an early experience that set it? Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I don't know. It's just a, it's. I when I look through the photographs of boyfriends that I've had, or um, or even early on, yeah, it's always they, they kind of have the same scheme to them. You know, they have the same features and 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 often body body type. I wonder does like having lived in New York like um it 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 gave you the opportunity to be able to date that specific type of person. Oh no, in New York, I uh, no, I had um I had all in sundry. I had everybody. I mean, I had I had any, you know, whatever the multicultural um no, I no. And but if you Most have such a strong serious people that I've been with okay. have a certain Thing about them that is so it's um, not evident. You don't need that. It's just your preference. It's like if you, you would say preference, mm-hmm. if you're speaking about preferences, it it just automatically happens that way. It's almost like I call it into existence. Mm-hmm. Like oh, that's the that's the next one. You know, kind of. But it it's not a it's not a um, it's probably subconscious. It's subconscious. It's not. I don't do it. You know. Uh, I don't. I'm not like seeking them out. No. Mm-hmm. I I used to say like you know when people would say do you have a type I would say well there's a type that has me, because there was a certain type of woman that would that would go for me mm-hmm. and I could you know I I might like all all in sundry but the ones that would like me back were always a certain kind of person, mm-hmm. um, that was quite specific. I feel I feel like you know better what what the kind of person that 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 is than I do because you've said you Nicole's been like oh yeah you always date the same kind of person I, I don't see it. They seem different to me, but yeah. I mean, I mean, firstly, to be uh, a person that dates uh, Garrett Stack, <laughs> you have to be bisexual. Yeah, um, that's true. a requirement. You have to have some <laughs> kind of personality disorder or like either at least anxiety and depression. I just about make the quota because <laughs> I have an untreated anxiety disorder. <laughs> I'm just. I don't know, raw dogging life. Uh, <laughs> um, what else? I feel like vaguely alternative. So like just there's something she's not a total normie, but she's also not a total freak either. You know, she just like she'll I don't know. I don't even know in terms of like style because it could change or like say she's like super into like rockabilly or something or she's like wears slightly fetishy clothes at a night that oh, I've yeah, never these, these are great examples I would like those things for yeah. sure yeah. and I've never met any of your exes yeah. I don't think but I just know from what you've told me and I I know from pictures as well there's just like I don't know they just go for you but you obviously go for them well the bisexual thing is interesting because like that's not something that I'm into but every girl with the exception of one um every girl that I've dated has has been bisexual and I just I mean a lot of women are bisexual first first of all that's true um but like I don't know if it's because I'm particularly like feminine or what it is but just that's the kind of girl that goes for me yeah I don't know I mean um I guess there's a certain type of like normie girl I know because I went to school with a whole bunch of them where they're like uh and this is going to be specific to dublin but i think it fits into different like cities where they're just like i just like a man that's like like a man 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he he plays. He, he looks like Conor McGregor. Like it's <laughs> just like oh my god, and his his tracksuits never dirty are out in the sun. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> then we got really specific. Yeah. But I, I know exactly. I remember being at a wedding once and talking to this girl, and she told me what she was into, and she wanted men that were muscular, but it had to be from real work, not from the gym. Oh yeah, right. I'm yeah. Like, Oh, that is, that is picky as yeah, fuck. Yeah, but you can be that specific. <laughs> you can if you're hot, yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like if I was my, my interests were that specific, I'd be, you know, I'd be an incel, you know, <laughs> like I couldn't. See, I think you're incredibly picky as, a, as you know, your preferences. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I definitely, I have like, I'm not into like, a lot into like the world and sundry. I'm into specific people, but I don't think I'm, picky i think picky is different picky is like oh, they're all after me but i'm not interested i want that one i'm not like woulda coulda shoulda you know that's that's not been my experience of life <laughs> i don't know i i i think clearly we attract certain types of people and they go they see something and it's just like an unspoken thing where when you meet someone you're like yeah and I don't even mean in like a, like a cutesy, like true love kind of thing. I mean, like, um, for example, our first relationships, like um, we both ended up dating people who were a little bit messed up. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's something in that, that like for that to be your first relationship, it's like they, something about that person knew that this would like, you know, yeah. we were the right, like, compliant people. We were the prey. One of my friends was over here last night, and she said something about, like, how, like, people, psychopaths prey on people who are open to experience. I thought that was quite interesting. Because um, there's something about, like, when you're young and you're, like, I'm rosy-eyed and you're, you want to see the best in people, that's when you're most vulnerable to being, you know, exploited or manipulated or, you know, catching it, catching it crazy. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and we both kind of did, I guess, for our first relationships. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, uh, you were in New York like during like the 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 nineties yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I always uh, think of like the the club kids and, and yes, that kind definitely. of thing. You know, so like Limelight or, or I don't, Limelight's the one that came to mind. Yeah, Palladium Lime Limelight. Mm. I, was that kind of like a revival of like the like 60s summer of love only it's like summer of i don't know drug drug. well you know it was definitely drugs but um it was also these were costume events there was pageantry to it Mm. you know these club kids um even going back i mean i lived in london for about a year 84 five or 86 I can't remember the years mm-hmm. and you know in those days it was all about you know the pageantry dressing up and not being like anybody else and today everybody's sort of peas in a pod they all look the same not all but you know it's just these it's it's kind of um, sad to see that nobody has or that this so little self style or how do you say that um, individual style yeah. you know it's it's um, everybody had not everybody but um, they they groomed their style. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you say that in English? They 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 um, like perfected it. Perfecting their style and then changing it, you know, changing mm-hmm. it quickly. Yeah. So these these going out, you know, going out in London and New York, 
um, was you, I think you concentrated more on you know the look and and mm-hmm. not and standing out. Yeah, and and is there a specific way that you uh, kind of like? would dress yourself to attract the kind of uh, person that you're it into? It wasn't to attract people. I think it was uh, the mm. to show off. You know, it was sort of like the peacock. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And, and these were outlandish costumes. I mm-hmm. had friends that would come as, you know... Uh, nurses or um, you know like mm-hmm. in, in a, like a, how would you say like a freak nurse you know like a yeah. nurse outfit uh, with blood on their hands and you know yeah. I mean it's just we, we were just talking about this the other day um, I was in a park the other day and talking about how much I miss you know subcultures and how you would see you know in the 90s goths and metalers and mm-hmm. punks and cyber goths and hippies and you know some version of club kid people who dressed the most extreme they could and now i mean in here in berlin there are some punks i guess um but that's kind of it and i don't really understand what happened i mean i know the internet came along and people sort of maybe started forming their identity more around their sexuality than their interests and music and stuff. I think the internet killed a lot of that because you're spending so much time on these machines mm-hmm. that you're not, you know, you you don't you don't uh, you're not you're not cultivating your style. You're not cultivating a, a personal style or uh, to show off. I mean. You see that with women today. Their hair isn't done like it used to be. Everybody used to have hairstyles. <laughs> yeah. I guess they do now. A little. I, yeah, yeah it, it depends. I think it's not like everyone you know, goes to the salon and mm. gets their hair set mm. like it was um, like a, a few decades ago. Or even in the 80s, the girls getting the perms. Perms and, and, yeah. and that, frizzy, <laughs> that frizzy look they had for a while. And then they'd have string, strands yeah. put, you know different colors they looked like german shepherds often because it was you know yeah. those freaky german shepherd colors a lot you know a lot of like mm-hmm. you know, brassy um yeah and, and the internet yeah it takes so much time or it takes up people allow it to take so much time that they're not they uh they're focused on that yeah mm-hmm. I, I i would say i would agree with that um I, I definitely it definitely takes up way more of my time personally than um, I would I, I would like I get a lot more done I know that if like when my phone dies if I'm in the middle of like I'm like scrolling on my phone and then it suddenly dies and then I'm like oh in that moment where I'm like waiting for my phone to like recharge I'm like I don't know cleaning the kitchen or something well, that sounds very need, bleak I think but. you need to stop using your phone because it's probably been the only time you've ever cleaned the kitchen with, when that happened yeah. um, but this is making me think of the value of boredom you know I remember when I was in um, when I was working my first job and actually in college as well after that how I didn't have a smartphone or if I did you know it wasn't very good and um yeah, I don't think I had one because the iPhone hadn't come out yet. And I would get the bus or the train home and it would take an hour and I would write, you know, I would because I was so bored. I would write my thoughts, my feelings, short stories and stuff. And I, I wonder if part of what, you know, like what you're saying, Constantine, like part of what it takes to make a scene um, to make it to spend hours and hours knitting your latex nurse costume or making your crazy headdress or whatever is a level of boredom that it's difficult to have now because there's always a little game you can play. Uh, 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 um, 
yeah, you're you're being distracted. There's it's always a distraction. These phones, these screens, the screens just keep getting smaller, you know. And um, people aren't going out. Look at New York. It, in my day, there was a, every night there was a a myriad of a, a, a selection of places you could go out at night. Mm-hmm. Dance clubs. There was a dance club every night almost, and now there's not one, not one. I'm told. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to go back and and see for yourself. Check it out. What was New York like when you first moved? What year did you move to New York? I was um, there from 87 onwards, but then I had a few. I was back and forth from 87, 87. So New York in the late 80s is sort of legendary as this, in popular culture, this place full of artists and crazy clubs and um, people living on the edges of life but somehow able to make it and this kind of dream of the bohemian I mean, was that what it was like or is that just all bullshit that people have made up since no no I think it was I mean there, yes definitely there was, an, there was definitely an art scene but there were so few artists now everybody's an artist you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's now everybody's an artist but they can't live in New York because it's so expensive so well, what was that? What was your experience of that like when when you got there? What did you like? What did you go and see? What was your? You know, I just landed smack dab in the middle of it, just by virtue of being gay. <laughs> I, I had a friend, and they said, "You're going to live with us, and um, you're going to go around with us." And so I just landed. You know, it wasn't like I had to uh, look for anything. It was it was almost uh, as natural as um, a heart. How would you say? It was as it just it was as natural as breathing. I thought, well, that's life, you know. It it wasn't. Um, I I wasn't so I wasn't floored by it. I was, I was just sort of. This is it. This is New York. Um, this is what it should be. Not should. This is it. You know. Um, I I yeah. But I kind of feel like I've been looking for that for my whole life. You know that bohemia. I mean, everybody who moves to Berlin, I guess, is kind of looking for it and is disappointed. And, and it's kind of, it's heartening to hear that something like that kind of existed, at least for some people, because mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if it exists anymore, anywhere. Uh, I feel like it, it exists to an extent um, if you're, uh, if you're gay, if you're in kind of like a queer circle. So like you're uh, living in an apartment with a bunch of other people that are gay or something like that. I think that's something that still goes on. And I, I know you mentioned that that was kind of the situation. Like um, that that's still something I feel like that. Uh, yeah, but I, I, like there's a lot of now. legends in their own lunchtime. You know, there's a lot of people who like we've met here who are shitty artists and no, no talent or not particularly interesting even as people yeah. but they're like oh, me and my friends are so cool and I feel like there's a it's a di- it's a different when the scene is bigger than that and it's not just a bunch of narcissists you know yeah. patting each other on the head you know maybe I don't know maybe maybe it's always like that and maybe it depends on your thing because like I, I've known people that have moved to Berlin and their their whole thing is uh, like getting fucked up and like mm-hmm. wearing crazy clothes and like just drinking and going to clubs all the time and they are sailing you know yeah. it, I think it and that's a very specific thing so maybe it's just like you don't have enough of a specific thing I, f- I feel like people had to justify themselves at so, like in the past to where you had to be like 
we are doing it for this reason. You know, we are living, like, like in Withnell and I, we're living in squalor because we're artists, you know, or we're, 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 we're here in Berlin beside the wall because it's the only free place in the world or something. And if you're just like, yeah, I work in a dot com and I get fucked up on the weekend and I'm crazy, that's kind of hollow and different. And even if the other thing was kind of bullshit, at least it was, at least you had to aspire to something, you know? Um, okay, so I have another question, um, which is, what is love? Oh, what is love? That's indescribable. You know that for everybody. For for everybody, it's an individual thing. It's probably the most powerful thing in in the universe. And it's I I was thinking about that today actually as I was painting. And the song that came to my mind was um, from the Eurythmics, Annie Lennox. Love is a stranger in an open car. Come, uh, come, walks in and drives you far away. And, and then it goes on from there. So it's something that, um, it, it, there's, so many, so, there's so many songs have described it and described it well, you know, but I think that's, um, that's one of them. It can, it, can do, it, can, it can change your life or it can ruin you. You can feel uh, exultation, shame. I mean, it's just, it covers everything. What is love? Um, that's a great answer. <laughs> it's lovely. That was, yeah. that, that's profound. Um, it's an indescribable feeling. You ca- it, I can't describe it. It's something that just it takes hold of you. And it's eternal. I think I like that answer because so often people give this. There's a there's a stock answer to that, this question today, which is, love is not passion. Love is when you're holding someone's hand when they're dying. Love yeah. is when you've seen them take a shit and you've held their hair and they got sick. And and I'm like, okay, well, that's whenever I hear that, I think that's the tyranny of diminished expectations. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that's something else. That's commitment. That, it, but it's not. I'm mean, sure it's love, but it's not what we mean when we say. Well, there are so many different um, levels or so many different colors of love. And and the Greeks had so many words for it. They had um, eros, they had uh, agape, they had, um, um, I think they had seven different, which don't come to my mind now. But um, if you're in love with somebody, it's different than loving someone in love has the notion or the connotation that it's um, it's just it's it's fleeting in love I'm in love with somebody that's just sort of a temporary thing whereas I love someone is as I said more of an eternal thing a permanent thing that mm-hmm. never ends so you, do you think if you really love someone you never stop loving them no yeah. matter what yes I do and it, and it's not and, and it's not an erotic thing and it's not those people who I was together with it's also friends I think I have a, I think I have, you know, this whole thing of friends is also that friends is such a a term that's being thrown around so easily nowadays. I think you're jolly lucky if you have one friend in the world. You know, I I, I think I have one friend, I, you know, one that would never let me down, you know, that you could call at two in the morning if you're, if you have a toothache or, you know, you're on the verge of committing suicide or, you know, something like that. Um, 
Nicole and her friends, they always say, oh, I love you, I love you to each other on the phone. And stuff. And yeah. It bothers me because it's it's feels very disingenuous. It's like, I don't think you love your friends, mm-hmm. at least not the ones that say that. I don't think I've ever told anyone that in those three words. Really? No, really? I don't know. And would you ever if you felt No, that? I wouldn't. I, I don't use words to say that. I... Mm-mm. So what's your love language if it's not words? Um, I don't think it's a language. I think you just feel it emanates from me. It's a, it's a love aura. <laughs> yeah, I think you would feel... If, if I did love someone, they would, they would feel it. Mm-hmm. And they would notice it in small things, you know. But not everybody's that sensitive to pick up on it. That is definitely one of the problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I often think, you know, we go back to crazy exes or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think that the real reason that for me anyway that i was like vulnerable to some to somebody really very toxic is that um i really needed love i needed to be loved mm. and people who are you know for want of a better word crazy and i like the word crazy because i don't think it's like a negative thing about mental illness i think it's actually an apt description of someone who is chaotic and damaging and destructive and mad mm-hmm. and and for crazy crazy people can be open they can be they can fire love and it's real yeah. but they can also fire the opposite you know at a moment's notice because um there is something about a certain kind of person that they have in them uh, these great wells of, of emotion and when you are kind of starved of of love that's that's a that's a a bam you know it's you feel it's like joining a cult you know getting love bombed but it's not fake. It's just that they're mad. They're crazy. And, and it's real. And then it's not real. Or something else is real. I think there's something about that, uh, like, stereotypical, like, first relationship. And a lot of people describe that as, like, it was the most intense, you know, thing I've ever experienced. And, you know, in my own experience, um, it's almost I feel like there's a little bit of manufacturing to it so like my first relationship there was a lot of we have to be totally honest with each other and we have to you know swear up and down that we love everything about each other and always be completely honest and you know uh, I feel like you know to practice uh, a relationship in that sort of way is almost a trying to manufacture very quickly an intense long-lasting love and you just can't you can't do that it just it has to happen naturally i can relate so hard to that though that was exactly the connection that we you know we have to tell each other everything we must Mm. maintain this this large there must be a big pipe between both you know between our hearts that is fat enough for the the truth to flow yeah and in my experience anyway actually was our detriment trying to hold on to this sort of idea of love and you have to it has to be this particular way An that attachment, yeah. yeah yeah that defies maybe human nature yeah. you know you can't be totally honest to someone all no. the you and know you shouldn't because you should. they're going to be wounded <laughs> brutally when 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 they say the morning they wake up and they look terrible and they say do i look am i beautiful today and you go no you look hideous yeah you know, you're gonna be wounded beyond repair thanks for all those times you told me i look pretty when i like no no problem no <laughs> like problem. quasimodo <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of people i meet now who are like in their early 20s or whatever they say you know and i ask them you know or we have a conversation and it comes up dating and stuff and they say oh i've never dated anybody 
And I find that so bizarre that they, instead of having a relationship first and then, you know, meeting other people and stuff after, and their experience has been just hooking up with people, just casual sex, just going to clubs, and they've never, and they could be, they could even be in their late 20s. And it's always such, that's a big well, change. When you speak so. about dating, what, I mean, this is where it gets confusing for me. Dating is just having, as I said, those rendezvous. Well, I mean a relationship. Like, so dating is not a relationship. Well, when I say dating, I mean a relationship. You mean a relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so for me, dating would be like casually meeting from time to time and uh, going to dinner mm-hmm. or, you know, having sex afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely a gay guy thing. That's not, you know, I don't think... Well, usually of... sex comes first and then you go to dinner. You know, <laughs> no, that's definitely in, a gay guy in, thing. If you're interested in, you know, them as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind. No, that's that not, I mean, be, that sounds really nice, but that's not what I'm talking about. I guess, so dating, you mean a relationship? I mean a relationship. So, yeah. where, so where would you say, like, how do the two people, so, um, let, let's just take, for example, you meet somebody, and um, do you discuss this with them? Like, now we are in a relationship? or do, Yeah, is, it's called the chat. The chat? Yeah, after, you know, you've gone on, generally speaking, you've gone on a few dates, you know, you met up for drinks. Maybe you've had sex a few times. Maybe you've been seeing each other for a few weeks or a month or something. Then it's time for the chat. And the chat, is that where you define then yeah. exclusivity? What are we? Yeah. Uh, what are you looking for? You know, and in, traditionally in Ireland, that was then, was, um, you, you know, you want to go out with me? Okay, we're going out. All right. You know, and then that would be by de facto. Wouldn't that just reveal itself through the through through the course of time when you are going on I dates? I think that's very dangerous because then you know because that was after after many relationships where I was this kind of serial monogamist. I went through a period of time where I was you know just dating the way you describe it, and there's a danger which is that you have that expectation. You're like, okay, well, I don't have to bring up everything I'm doing. They don't have to bring up everything they're doing. And we're all, we can have a chat at some point, but right now, we're, and the other person might be thinking, I've met someone and we're in this serious thing. And, you know, so I, I had an experience where I was, um, I was casually seeing, you know, a couple of people and I went on a couple of dates with this one girl, very nice, kind of messed up person, but really sweet. And she had a, a child and she started talking to her child about me. And I was like, whoa, that's, you know, we had two dates you know this is a bit much not that I'm afraid of someone with a child but mm-hmm. that is not healthy for the child to say that to someone to, to, to my mind I'm not a parent but to my but anyway what, what ended up happening was she had developed this really strong idea yeah. not even an attachment I don't think more like an idea that this was a serious thing and then she kind of ended things with me and I was like well you don't want to see me anymore you know how come and one of the things she said was that Oh well, I have the. I, I feel like you're seeing other people, and I didn't say anything because I thought well, we never talked about this. You're putting me in this position as though I've lied about it. But you know, I figured this was just casual, and maybe, you know, maybe it could become something. You know, some point. But it, so that's the the danger is that if you don't have the chat, one person thinks, oh, we're in a relationship, and the other person is off, you know, fucking Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Rita, and May, and Bob. Bob too or whatever yeah I mean maybe it's uh, there's different expectations uh, possibly when it comes to like heterosexual relationships yeah, and same sex sure. relationships I'm sure yeah exactly you don't even have to uh, theorize it uh, because I feel like as a as a girl who has you know gone on dates with guys and stuff like that there is that kind of like okay 
you know, expectation that we this chat will happen at some point or, you know, something has to be said because I think a lot of girls, they'll, they'll just assume, like they'll start like catching feelings naturally because it's like, that's the natural thing when you're going, when you're dating a guy heterosexually, I think. But, but yet here we are in Berlin and all these things that we're talking about are all changing. You know, we're, we're in a relationship, yeah. um, but everybody I know here is in either single or in some kind of polyamorous relationship. I just talked to a guy the other night whose name will not be mentioned, real nice guy, new friend of mine. And he, he was like, he mentioned that he and his girlfriend have been together for a number of years and uh, and it somehow came up, you know, he was like, oh, we're not polyamorous. I'm like, okay. And then later in the night, well, you know, they are. They have a don't ask, don't tell policy. And, you know, he, he sees people, she sees people and whatever. And, but he didn't define it that way. So, oh no, we're not polyamorous mm-hmm. because we don't, to him, polyamorous meant we're all in the house together having tea and she goes off on a date and I shake hands with the guy. And for him, that wasn't, for him, it was like, no, no, we're together, but we just don't ask. We don't, you know, but that's Berlin, right? It's like this, this those rules are, are of what, like when you're in a relationship, when you're not, whether you should expect to be in one, it's all to play for here. I don't think there are any rules in Berlin. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're incredible. I mean, they did, they did some, uh, um, uh, survey and they found out they figured out that Berlin had the uh, largest amount of single people in in the world or in the western or maybe it was just Germany I'm not sure can't remember but um, they define themselves as single and then everybody has these sort of you know triangulations and 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 yeah. this, this is full of that you know there's I don't know I don't know anybody who's exclusively together. Mm. Well, you know us. Except you. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I came to do the podcast. <laughs> do you regret it? No. <laughs> we'll continue. Do you have questions for me, Nicole? I suppose we, we're kind of talking about the idea of uh, pulling. I don't know if that's a... This is probably an Irish slash British term. Are you familiar with the term pulling? No, pulling. pulling. Well, <laughs> pulling. Pulling what? <laughs> um, so I guess pulling would be when you uh, manage to convince someone to have sex with you. <laughs> what a way to put it. You finally, you finally drug their drink. No, no, no. It just means like, I, I always think of like, you know, you've, you've pulled the person, yeah. you know, it's like you've, you've gathered the person as part of your like, I don't know, number, you could say. Your body count. Yeah, your body count. Um, and um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like, uh, like Constantine, are there any particular like, uh, tactics that you've observed in in Berlin of how people manage to, I don't know, pull people, so to speak. Anything of yourself that? Well, there's one thing that I used to do. I haven't done because I haven't been out in so long. I haven't been on the um, on the pull on on the pull. Um, but if I noticed that, if I noticed the um, if I noticed the person was interested, you can always tell by the look in their eyes. And um, I, w- I would always lower my voice if it was in a bar to lower your voice so that they ha- get closer, nearer, nearer, so that they are more are more concentrated on what you're saying. And then if they do if they do that, that's sort of a way of luring them in. If they're 
if they're not afraid to get close, then you know that they can be pulled. Nice. And um, yeah, of course there's alcohol involved. You have a few drinks and people mm -hmm. have their guard down. And that sometimes works. But of course, yeah. you know, you have to notice that they're interested. There's got to be some energy of, you know, there has to be an energy that you feel that they're interested. And, uh, and then you can do it like that. Or um, there are other, uh, how should we say, um, sexual gestures. Sexual gestures. Se sexual gestures. Oh, that's interesting. What's a sexual? You, do you mean something like subtle, like touching your mouth, or you, do you mean just kind of groping your crotch in it? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and yeah, you can you can kind of um, walk around with a bulge. Has been done. Hmm. And that's um, sort of gesturing to the room, though, isn't it? That <laughs> well, you kind of you can you you um, you focus it in on the person. Okay. Yeah. Right. You focus the bulge. Maybe that's the name for the podcast. So, like, if if Gareth wanted to pull someone this way, he's, you're you're what you you have a you have a semi, and you're kind of looking or you're looking at the person you want to have sex with, and you're like focusing my bulge. I don't think that would work on girls. I think that that would be it would probably be a turn off. It'd be too forward. It'd be like it would flashing. Be, I think yeah. it would be. I mean, maybe Very in Kit Kat. Yeah, it depends. Like, I don't know if. If I had been like secretly admiring you from afar, maybe I'd be like, check out the bulge on Karen. <laughs> well, there, there is a whole other thing, obviously, in heterosexual dating, which is there in all kinds of dating, but it's a prominent thing, which is like, you don't, you want to be, as a guy, you know, obviously you want to be confident and you want to be flirtatious, but you don't want to be frightening. Right, yeah. because you could be, you know, a violent thug, or you could be a murderer, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Especially with a stranger, mm -hmm. and I think in Ireland, it's historically anyway, people generally hooked up with people that they knew, like friends of friends, and I think that's kind of a safety mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. Until Tinder came along, um, but yeah, certainly you don't want it. You have to. There's a line you have to walk because you don't want to also hit on someone in a way that they don't want not because you're like so ethical but because it's not going to work and you're going to come off like a creep and a weirdo and um, so you don't want to you know you don't want to be too full-on but you also don't want to it's it's i've always found it like it's a it's a it's a line really it's really easy to just go oh well i shouldn't do anything and just kind of be like you know um, but that's not effective and it's also easy because I know guys who are like this who are too full who every time they they meet a girl that you know touching her I hate and, you that know, oh I love your hair you know any excuse and yeah, all this yeah. kind of stuff which, which they're obviously going to succeed more of the time but they're also going to piss off a bunch of people because I've been that soldier where someone you don't like is touching you and you're like take your filthy hands off me I want to kill you. <laughs> you, know? it's, yeah. you don't want to be that person. You don't oh, want to make God. someone feel that way. It happens to girls so often, like in bars, uh, like the guy is innocently walking past you to go to the bathroom and he puts the hand on on your waist. I'm like, oh, fuck off, creep. And it's just like to get, it's not even like, you're not even getting like. No, it is. Not it, is it is. They're cracking on for sure. They're, they're not, cracking they're, on for yeah. sure. But it's like, what do you get now that? A handful of rib? Like, you know? get to be Mr. I'm, I, put, I put the women around like the chest pieces yeah, it's, oh it's nasty <laughs> but um yeah so what's effective for you nicole when 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 someone hits on you what's the 
I'm really attracted if someone is uh, is quite attentive in conversation. Someone being like super proactive and attentive um, and like asking me questions about myself. Not that I like to talk about myself so much, but like that uh, showing a kind of initiative and confidence is mm-hmm. is really attractive to me and will actually like uh, gives me the opportunity to kind of zero in on them and kind of like think about them while they're mm-hmm. talking to me. Um, and then from there, I think I'll. It depends on how charming they are. It's really all about if they're if they're charming and. Yeah, yeah that's missing nowadays, isn't it? I mean, just yeah. exactly that what you said. I mean, I come. I, I think I, I was always taught that you know if you're sitting at a dinner table, um, you take interest in who's sitting next to you, exactly. and 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 you're not important. And through that, you get in. You you become interesting because you're you know asking them about themselves. Yeah. And charm has completely gone out of the window. I don't remember. I can't remember the last time I was charmed by somebody mm-hmm. who's really had a charming personality. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, no, I do know one person who is very charming, but it's used as a kind of you know, aggrandizement of himself. It's yeah. not because he's interested in you as the person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you think that's because people work so hard now and, and are so stressed about their living situation? You know, everybody is like, the, so the people, a lot of people I know in Berlin have no money. Mm-hmm. But then I work, I work a real job. So I have a little bit of money, not a lot. But, but the people in the job are all quite like, you can tell that they're, Okay, you gotta work and you gotta get the money and you gotta be careful. And then the people who don't have those kind of jobs are like, I don't have any money and I might lose my apartment. So, so you know, it's it's hard to be charming when you're on edge. Well, I mean, are we speaking about Berlin specifically or Germany? Oh, or I think it's some. It's a worldwide thing. Is it a world life world? is difficult everywhere now yeah. in terms of making enough money that you know for sure you'll have an apartment in three months' time or six months' time is hard in anywhere in the Western world. Yes, but why should that? Why should that prevent you from cultivating a personality? You know, because you're I just think if you're if you're living in a state of tension, you can't be as relaxed. You can't be as playful. Mm-hmm. You can't be as open mm-hmm. because always at the back of your mind, it's you know I got to remember that I have to do the thing because I got to make the money to you know. Yeah, there's something to that, but I think everybody has to sort of jump over them, their sh- their whatever, and. Uh, you know, let their personality shine. And when it does, then you become automatically charming. I feel like you'd be a good charm coach. Maybe that could be your new career. But, I mean, have you not seen that it's sort of a charmless world? Yeah, definitely. I've definitely, um, uh, like, I'm trying to force conversation out of people. and They Mm. don't know how to speak. Yes, yes, yeah. Of thing I hate that mm-hmm. um, and it's a total it, I've been that soldier where I've like really wanted I've like fancied someone mm-hmm. and I'm just like oh and I'm trying to talk to them and then it's just like talking to a brick wall yeah. <laughs> and the version is quite kind of different but there's the other thing which is when you talk to someone and you're like oh we're, we're kind of vibing mm-hmm. even as friends or whatever mm-hmm. and we're yeah we're a bit of simpatico and then they drop one of those things where you can tell that like they're a person that there is like half a million things that if you say they'll immediately hate you. <laughs> I'm, I'm tiptoeing around this, but you know yeah. what? Yeah, I'm talking about people who are hypersensitive to you know being offended. 
and I know. which is well, the, that's everybody now. I mean, everyone's made. That's the new thing. Instead of being char charming, they are offended. They're so easily offended nowadays. They're offended about everything. But I think even people who aren't offended easily are wary because of all of the offended people. So they're like, you know, it's a lot harder to be sort of like suave and whatever if you have to be very careful to not to well, maintain the appropriate be silence. Not being free then. Yeah, you're really not free. But um, I, I recently went on, you know, a date, and um, I may have told you about it. This man who I met on the internet, and um, and it just so happened that the very next day, after having chatted with him in the in the uh, gay uh, website, uh, was in the cafe near my house, and I saw him. I recognized him from the photo, and I spoke to him. And we got in a conversation, and it was it, it 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 was it was fine, you know, it was nice. It was everything was all right. And we made an arrangement to meet again in the future, and we did. And I was so disappointed because all he did was talk about himself, and really uh, intimate things. Um, you know, not his family. His sister had an abortion when she was you know sixteen, and. Things that are just not, you know, bring those things up um, on, in the first, you know, flush of recognition mm -hmm. there when you're meeting somebody for the first time. I think that's too much. So, oh, it is. It shows that you can't be trusted as well. Yeah. Because if you tell a stranger those things, then how can you confide in... Well, exactly. But I've, I've encountered that quite a bit where... Um, they just, they blather on about themselves and don't ask uh, anything about you or one mm -hmm. and um, and and that's always a tell a, a sign you know you can't continue with that because that's just all it's going to be is them talking about themselves they don't know how to engage and take interest in mm -hmm. in the other person yeah I feel like um this kind of lack of charm is kind of coming from um, most people that I interact with they're so insular and they're waiting for, for someone else. They're like Cinderella. They're waiting for the Prince Charming to come to them mm. and, and, and charm them. That's what I experience anyway when you're talking to people. They're just kind of like, they want you to do all of the work mm. in a way. Uh, you, have, you have seen a lot of gay life, especially, you know, for several decades. And I'm just, you know, Broadly speaking, how has it changed? Because, you know, in in the 80s, it was barely legal to be gay. It had just been, well, I guess in America, it was legalized in the 60s, but it was still pretty edgy. And now, you know, everybody is gay or whatever. So like, what what's the difference that you've that you've seen in how people date and relate? Or is it different? Or what's what's happened? Um, well, the Internet, of course, again, changed so, so much in the world. And that especially because uh, when I lived in New York, it was an exciting place. You could leave the house and anything could happen. You know, you left the house and um, there, there, were, there were neighborhoods. There was a neighborhood. There was, you know, the West Village in Chelsea. And um, there, it was uh, frequented by, you know, gays, men. There were other people walking around as well, but that's how you hooked up. And if you, it was a lot of eye contact on the street. You know, you would, you would, um, if you fancied somebody, you'd look at them and you'd give them the eye or, 
you know, you'd give them some sort of energy that they told them that you were interested or you found them attractive or whatever. And then if, if um, if you were lucky and you met that person and you turned around and turned around, you'd meet and then you'd exchange numbers. And if you were even luckier, then they would call you or you would call them. And then that's how things took off. It was exciting. Whereas um, with the internet, it's all this kind of chatting back and forth. It's a huge waste of time. And you don't really get to see the person. You know, I'm, I'm from the generation where you had to see how the person moved, what their voice was like, what they smelled like. If the pheromones, is that, mm, is that yeah. the word? Pheromones were there. There was an immediate kind of, you know, you knew and um, that's changed because I've noticed that people don't even look at each other on the street anymore they're kind of all in this myopic um, trance they're in a torpor almost they're just or they're looking down at that screen to the latest breaking news or whatever they're looking at you know and um, that sucks away so much energy that can be used for um, uh, just being being out in 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 the theater of life, mm-hmm. and um, it, un, it's unfortunate. I see it in the young people too. They're not looking at each other on the street. The in 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 I live in the gay neighborhood here in Berlin, in Schöneberg, and um, they they they're there, but they're just sort of as I said, they're kind of walking around in a in a in a torpor, a sleepy torpor. Yeah, that side of it, that 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 you know, we have a, we have another uh, friend in in New York who who's you know gay and hooks up with people quite a bit, and he has this thing where he will you know talk to someone online. They'll come to the apartment and they'll just fuck and and to me, because what you're saying makes sense. I, I it would take me at least a few minutes to find someone attractive. I mean, I can look at someone and say, God, she's gorgeous, but I don't know if I'm really attracted to them until there's. You know, it wouldn't be. I couldn't book an appointment and know that I was going to like it, because what if they don't smell right, or what if they, what if they come in and they, 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 they walk and there's kind of a disappointedness to how they are, or just something to like. It could be really gross. I, be, yeah, I have to say, you know, I out of, and I did this. In, I've done this internet. You know, the internet's been around now for twenty years, and uh, when it first took off, I was one of the first to do all this online dating and. I'd have a date every day, every night, and and I have to say, to ninety percent, these were just people that I would never, you know, ever. It was a, it was a waste of time, um, and 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 then hooking up and then having them come over for sex. I would say also to about ninety percent, it was just uh, nothing. You know, it was uh, boring. It it just wasn't. It was not the same when you. It it just isn't the same when you see someone on the street. Mm-hmm. You were talking about pull earlier. Yeah. There's there's something that you there's something in the air in the energy that you want that and you do your your whole body gets involved to get it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. It's exciting. And, you know, it just, that doesn't exist so much anymore. At least not for me. I'm older now. Maybe if I were 23. It... I don't know. It's it's hard. I can't really comment either because um, I can't really remember how much, like, online uh, <laughs> dating I've done versus, I mean, like, I, and we, we both, um, 
uh, you and I, Constantine, have studied acting, mm. and we've talked about this before, where like it, when you're in a troupe of actors, it's like that experience you're talking about on the streets, but you're in a room with a bunch of people and everyone's very confident and, you know, uh, slutty. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. But um, I did find myself when I was like uh, reading into the acting thing, that was how I mostly was hook like I was hooking up with people and it was so much better just you know you know the person a little bit mm. and you're looking you're sizing each other up mm. and then that excitement when it finally happens it's like it's you cannot I don't know compare it to just setting up to go on a date with someone you meet in the pub you have a fine conversation and maybe you'll kiss after a few drinks and well even that's more <laughs> that's more chemical and romantic than than just the door opens and the, the you know yeah yeah i mean come in kind of thing. <laughs> what i described was just a perfectly reasonable and yeah. great <laughs> first date <laughs> <laughs> you've just shit on a first date yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, well, that sounds lovely. The uh, the acting, the room full of slutty, hot, confident people that all like you. I, I, I meant to say promiscuous. No, no, no. no slutty is fine. <laughs> Let's reclaim that one. Well, yeah, there's yeah. A, if we're speaking about the theatre, there is something kind of magical that happens. I mean, the real drama happens behind, mm. behind the scenes, and you're just there working the play, you know. Um, exactly. But... It, it, there's all kinds of other there's like um you know mini marriages during a run mm -hmm. you know there's 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 breakups and then there's jealousies and yeah. all of that's kind of exciting why is it that it has to be you know uh, uh, why do what does everyone have to be an actor for it to be permissible to be you know we all get changed in front of each other and it's all naughty and you know like what what is the because te theoretically right we've there's no religious thing there's no law thing there's nothing stopping us from having a much more intimate culture than we have and but we don't and if anything it feels like sex has become very much taken away from intimacy so and i don't think it's anything to do with promiscuity i think you can be intimate with a lot of people yeah. but it's to do with like sex is this box and you're not going near my feelings and you know and dating is different and maybe we won't even have sex for a long time if we're like i my my last girlfriend that i dated years and years and years ago before before nicole um you know we didn't have sex for the first month that we were dating and i was like this is crazy but she was like well if i if i didn't like you i would have slept with you already which I think there's something there's something in that about how people are around sex and love being separate and it, yeah. it's all really stupid because we could be just very cool and we're not you know yeah I don't know it, it just it, it goes beyond it's obviously a societal kind of like you know barriers that we put up with people it just in terms of like acting when you're cast in a play with a whole bunch of people you're suddenly given permission to like you know speed through the kind of formalities that you have with people you know like you're uh if you're cast in a play where you have multiple scenes and you're in one scene you could be you know pretending to have sex with someone or you're having a fight or you're you know you're hugging each other you're touching each other um and because you're in that rehearsal room for like i don't know like six weeks or something a few nights uh, on the weekends it's like it's like speed dating intimacy in a way and it's really thrilling and it leads to some uh exciting interpersonal dramas yes, yes, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I I think because you're taking on another character there, you're doing, you know, you're putting yourself in another character in the play. The, there's a there's a huge allowance to yes. just kind of let loose and and be all these you know things mm-hmm. and um, it it's it can be used as an excuse like well you know I can do anything here and mm-hmm. I've seen you know I've seen straight men go with other men um, just they've well it was in the play yeah who were. I one time had a um, a scene part. I had a, I can't remember the play, but um, he became somehow attached to me in the play. I don't I, for something I don't know. And and he said he wanted to meet me um, for coffee or casually with um, outside of the theater. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, okay, fine, you can do that. And um, he told his wife. So opening night, she came, and he introduced me to her, and you could just, she was just, uh, you know, worked out, I mean, you could tell she was completely, she hated me on instant, yeah. because he must have told her something, you know, that there was some attachment or um interest something interesting about me that you know he had to go and mm-hmm. find out about you know. well that's the darker side of what we were just talking about right is that you know because nicole's told me all these anecdotes of like teachers in acting schools who have the wife you know the the long-suffering wife or husband or whatever at home mm-hmm. and they're you know engaged in these showmances which whatever students and or, or you know and the same thing would be true Oh, that's typical. Yeah, I mean, I remember one of those teachers. She was always in love with somebody. I mean, just it was constant. It was always over and over again. And so that's the the, the you know the it's all it, the nice part is the sort of ooh the, it's all very we're all doing this and it's all and the horrible thing is yeah but you know you have your wife and kids at home or whatever yeah or. and frequently that's what happens if um there there will always be in in most plays if if you get to that level of intimacy as a as a group of people in a play most people they're in relationships and then suddenly it's like oh at the after party you know you share a kiss in the toilets or something like that not my own experience <laughs> um, never you would never, never share a kiss in the toilets absolutely <laughs> never but I have seen that where it's like the guy who everyone knows has the girlfriend but you know because everyone's on this like very intense kind of like love train with each other it's like oh it's okay you know we share a little kiss and we're all like you know chasing after that guy it's like okay but outside of this environment in the real world he has a fucking girlfriend he would be very upset (laughs) to hear about all this um yeah in, in a way i think uh some uh some cast in plays it's almost like uh cults or like little mini communes i think the kinds of people who are attracted to acting have that element to them where they're not submissive is the wrong word but they they want to be validated by being told what to do because you know i've I've done a lot of directing for radio and some for theater and the actors get this look in in their eyes you know when you're when you're really engaging with them what you did there was great but you need to work on this and have you okay i want you to walk in and they're kind of like yeah Ooh. and it's it's exactly the same look as when you tell someone you know 
I want you to get down on your knees and crawl across the floor and do X, Y, and Z. You know, it's it's not, even though it's not a sexual thing, the kind of person who can get in that headspace, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're gonna be fuck mad. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They all want attention. They all want affirmation. They all love to perform. You put them in a room together. It's a disaster yeah. waiting to happen. A lot of transference <laughs> going a on. Lot. <laughs> is it so? Another question, yeah. Constantine, is have you noticed um, the way men look has uh, changed? And, and if so, how? You know, in, in, in the gay scene? Well, there isn't so much. Um, there isn't so much emphasis on. on um, well, let's put it this way. In New York in those days, they had this thing called the Chelsea Boy, and he was muscular and always wearing a tank top and showing an, a, as much of his body and muscles as possible. And that was sort of a, an answer to the AIDS crisis that came before that because you saw a lot of skeletal-looking people walking around. And so the Chelsea Boy emerged from that. And... Um, that that was kind of the the main you know look of the time and now what's happened is there's a big bear thing you know it's all about bears somehow so you don't have to have the abs you don't have to um, you 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 have a gut and you're bearded and um, you're older mm-hmm. and that seems to be the attraction now to you there was a brief there was a similar thing um, you know in Straightland. A, a, a few years ago where daddies were fetishized by girls for a while mm-hmm. and uh, it was a great time for me you know you were supposed to have a dad bod mm-hmm. and you were supposed yeah. to be a little bit older and um, yeah it was great and now yeah it's... those things got popularized like the MILF yeah. wasn't there like the yeah. mom I would like to fuck or something yeah. you know it was like the MILF and yeah and daddy is of course a big thing in the gay world too there's daddy you know but for, we kind of made fun of daddy um, when I was younger, you know. Mm. It was sort of like you made fun of me- older men, that older wanted men to that be... wanted to be a daddy, yeah. or that were you know. I feel like for a while it was like this really old term. Like I always think of um, no, I remember watching this uh, documentary about Janis Joplin and um, someone that was in her like kind of like. I don't know, social circle was talking about how uh, he used to overhear her have sex and she'd always be like, oh, daddy, 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 like that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But I feel like from the 60s and 70s, like daddy was like a different thing to what daddy is now. You know, it was this different kind of like term and maybe it's for a while it was uncool. Well, you know, the Latins use that. They call everybody papi. Who's masculine? You know, the puppy. Oh, I, yeah. I, puppy. You know, when when they're getting, oh, hi, puppy. You know, kind of, they use that a lot. Yeah. It's in. Um, it definitely goes back a while because it's in um, that book. There's this wonderful book, incredibly offensive by the standards of any era, um, called uh, Pimp: The Story of My Life by this guy, this character called Iceberg Slim, who was a pimp in the 30s. And I think it was between the 30s and the 60s, he was a pimp. And um, and he wrote this book about his you know life, but it's an incredible aggrandizement of himself and of pimping, 
while in that exploitation way where it's written as a moral warning, but really you're meant to be kind of getting off on it. And he he puts you know the dialogue of his of his stable. Uh, is a oh daddy but I was just busting my hump for you you know and I've, I've listened to the audiobook and, and he, the, the guy does the voices of the, the hookers in this kind of simpish way yeah. but so it goes it goes back at least to the 30s for sure right yeah um, but it, it's had a resurgence well it had but years. I think it's now it's sort of because the whole groomer discourse is so profound. So like mm. if, like about five or six years ago, you know, girls would wear, were wearing T-shirts which would say, you know, you know, daddy's little girl, shit like that. And now there's this whole thing about um, older guys are creeps and rapists, mm. which, you know, some of them are. Some, you know, people of all ages can be creepy and rapey. Yeah. But there's definitely, a, a, the wind has turned and it, it, I think there's an assumption of, of, of like a, a, a bad intent. Whereas before there was a fetishization of something, probably came from some TV show or movie or something. Yeah, maybe we're seeing the backlash of the like sugar daddy uh, phenomenon that mm. took millennial women uh, like by storm um, right, yeah. about like six years ago or so. Because it became this thing where it was like, yeah, girl, get your coin, go and take him for all of his money, this kind of thing, go on those dates and order, you know, the fanciest wine all this kind of stuff go for the older man so you can get as much as you can out of them and obviously i don't think it worked out for a lot of people yeah well that's a that's a dark thing anyway because you're you're almost deciding to be malicious at that point and and i think also because of the rise of only fans and stuff like i've i've seen a lot of people heard a lot of people talk about how the only ethical like there's a line that you see on graffiti in berlin actually which is fuck the patriarchy but not for free so that the only ethical sex, straight sex, is for money because you have to, it's like a reparation in a way. Yeah. And that's the most extreme version of that, that, you know, you know, um, you, you should try to, as you said, like take the guy from for everything you can. The, the, the Zola ideology, mm-hmm. you know, coming from that sort of like the, the deep inequality in America where there are people, like people growing up in the ghetto who are like, they turn themselves into a, you know, a sexual sort of um, weapon to, to get that money money but it's so grim and sad and there's no love there or possibility for it or or even eroticism there's no the power is all about who can fuck one another over at least in the yeah. most the most the version of it that you see the most and it's like I, we were walking um, through Berlin yesterday with a, with a friend of mine and she was like um, oh my god it's that it, that girl um, it's the one who's I was just I was just after his mother's oh uh, yeah um, Junior Fox yeah Junior Fox and she her whole thing is you know I'm an exploitative dominatrix and I I, I, I make men pay and, stuff. and and that's kind of what like Megan Fox is or what you know um, uh, Kim Kardashian that they're sold as this and to me it's like a well it's a fucking disgusting archetype because you're literally whatever this is not about being a sex worker is fine but this is about being your whole thing is I'm going to punish them because they're ugh I couldn't be more disgusted by that I feel the way that about that that people feel a lot of people feel about like an older guy hitting on a younger woman I'm disgusted at the opposite at that idea that it's okay if you're if you're fucking them over for money we shouldn't have that when it comes to love (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's funny, though, how much, like, the romantic movies that I grew up with, they were always about the kind of the rapscallion guy finding the princess and, you know, 
kind of she sees beyond his rags you know the princess bride right mm. like uh, as you wish you know whatever and, and and the myth now has has kind of changed and it's much more about the like pretty woman thing of you know the the millionaire the billionaire one's a whore and she's a whore right yeah or or she's just a, a normal girl but but he takes her out of her uh, anonymity and her it's mills and boone you know, every Mills and Boone is like uh, the billionaire shakes, uh, innocent bride, or you know, millionaire doctor, uh, sexy nurse, or whatever. You know? well, it's yeah. usually millionaire doctor, incredibly ordinary nurse. Or... Do, do you do you do you seek do you seek love, Constantine? Is that a, is that a goal for you? Um, more and more, yeah. I kind of gave up for a while, and um, then it hit me. You know, as you get older, you don't want to. Um, remain alone and so yeah I, I that is something mm. do you think that's that everybody gets there or, or some people are just never they're just never interested in anything like that and it's just ride or die I think everybody's interested in it but it's like everything else in life you either have luck at it or you know you shouldn't even sit down at the table and play mm. I think though, I think there's so many people around me who um, are unsuccessful at it, you know. But do you not think a lot of it's how you interpret it? Because, like, I look at my life and I think, like, there's one story I could tell, which is that, you know, I've been cheated on a bunch of times and, you know, I was a really lonely kid and, you know, there's that's one, that's, but there's another story, which is the one that I actually tell myself, which is that I've had a lot of relationships. I've slept with for a straight guy, a, a, a lot of people. Although, we we sh- I told you my number and you were shocked at how low it was. But but um, but I've had all these experiences and I've been I've had people that I found incredibly attractive find me attractive. And I, well, I think we have to differentiate between love and having these relationships with sex. And I mean, love is as we said earlier. There's so many different levels of it. So, for example. You know, I've, I love a man who uh, we're not in a sexual relationship. This is also possible, you know. Mm-hmm. I gave that as an example because it is possible to, uh, to love someone and not be in a sexual relationship. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Suppose, yeah. Provided you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Uh, these, there are also marriages that... Um, you know they've been together they were at one time sexual and then as soon as the kids came along their relationship or their marriage or their yeah relationship turns into something else you know it's sort of an evolution it takes an it's an it's an evolution and it's in itself you know the love is always there but that's not a marriage anymore then they become parents and then later they become more like brother and sister who look after each other well i think the the good thing if there is a good thing about today because you know we talked a lot about some of the things that are maybe negative about how people date and sleep with each other now one good thing i think is that people don't think that they got married they have kids and maybe they're not so physically into each other they don't immediately think okay well we better break up and get married to two other people they, they they're more likely to be like let's redefine our relationship so that we're still together and look after the kids but we do other things or whatever it is you know that's like more acceptable which is seems like a healthier thing because i know like in not so much in ireland but certainly in america right in the 70s and, and 80s people 
regularly their parents' marriage would explode and they would have this huge, because there had been an affair and couldn't be forgiven and fuck you and everything. And then it's, and then they just get married again and then it happens again. And because people just wanted to maintain this illusion that they could have this permanent passion and if there was any difference or change in it, then that was it was over and you need to go back and look, find, find it again. And that's kind of toxic because like it just it puts a very high burden on a relationship to have love and kids and everything coochie crunch. And also you have to be con- consistently attracted forever and it can't change and there's no flexibility. And, you know, and I, I think maybe that that has changed a little bit. Yeah. I can't comment on that. I mean, I only know, I can only take examples from people that I've seen or I've been acquainted with and who've stayed together a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their relationship or their marriage, is, uh, it, it goes through an evolution. Um, and, and it's, um, yeah. Well, the, the classic Irish marriage, you know, they, 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 they make eye contact once at Christmas, you know, mm. after they've been together. A lot. But those yeah. are the sad instances, you know. I know a couple have been together for 65 years. They met, you know, they're in their 80s now. And uh, they, they've, they've, they've stuck together through all the ups and downs and turnarounds and affairs and jealousies. And still they, start, they are still together and they're looking after each other in, in um, one she's ill and he's um, he can he looks after her so that's sweet yeah it's you know again another uh, type of love mm-hmm. you yeah. know the evolution well, if of that not, if, as I said it evolved from you know their arrows their eroticism for one another when they were 16 17 18 whatever yeah and then they had a child and it evolved into other things and 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 he had his affair she had her affair uh or m- maybe more than one and um but they somehow that they, there was um an energy that kept them together and now and they and they remain together i mean i can't even imagine someone that you've known from 16 or 17 that you had your first maybe your first sexual experiences with that i can't even imagine the, there's so much that you would have there that to end a relationship like that is losing because even even with us we weren't together Nicole and I weren't together you know four and a half years or so but you know that's enough time to where you know we are each other's memories in a way absolutely I mean, yeah and, and imagine that for your, for that length of time is crazy oh yes and she said that she hopes she dies before he does because she would not be able to uh, withstand life she would not be able to tolerate life without him she said she's got you know cyanide in, in the in the medicine chest in case he dies first you know I mean that's dedication and that's uh, that that particular relationship or that marriage has stood um, the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s and here we are mm-hmm. so you know that's that that's what I say it's, it's a question of luck it is, but I also think that there's something Dan Savage, who I'm always mentioning, but he had. He is says, he the one from the Village Voice? Who yes, used to write for the yeah. Vi- yeah, and and then he's he the was the advice column. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's it was syndicated. So he's editor of the Stranger uh, in in Seattle now, yeah. and where the column started. But he has this thing that he says, um, which is that every relationship fails until one doesn't, and and it's a two sided thing. What what he's saying is that you should well, first of all, you shouldn't consider a relationship a failure just because it ended. 
which I think is really profound. But what, because why the endings of things are usually so painful that we look yeah. back and just go, what an, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. But that's an awful way to think about it because you had all this beauty and happiness and connection and change and growth. Um, so that's one thing. But the other one is that just because, just because, um, you d- never find that one person until you're dead. I mean, that's not a, it doesn't mean your life was less rich. Maybe it was richer in a different way because instead of having one person that you shared a thousand years with and everything, you had a lot of people that you knew in different ways and you saw all these different parts of life and they saw you yes. and they remember you and you're, you know, you're, you're part of all these different stories. Yeah, I, this is true. Yeah. Um, it, it, but there's, I think it, everyone has a cliche in their mind that they're going to meet the one, you know, and it's going to be, you know, everlasting. I think everyone has that somehow, don't they? I used to. They, they, yeah, but they used to say, oh, my soulmate, which I don't believe in, but, you know, they talk about soulmates or the, I feel whole when I'm with this person. It's all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think if it's, even if it's without those cliches, I think most people have an idea in their head that eventually they're, they're going to meet someone that, you know, that, that can be a companion for them, mm-hmm. however they want to define it, mm-hmm. you know, like even in uh, like company, sometimes company, <laughs> you know, the character of Bobby, um, he's he's fucking around all this kind of stuff and he doesn't want you know he's doing this kind of like no strings thing and even oh, if <laughs> you could drive a first crazy <laughs> um and but i think he still is like looking for that so it's not even that he's a player and he is you know he just wants to uh fuck around and he'll do that for the rest of his life his whole thing is that he's like he has this idea in his head of this like perfect person this particular kind of woman that'll be like um when i meet her that's when i'll that's when i'll settle when i'll actually pursue a long-lasting relationship isn't there that song that where he talks about this girl has this and this girl has this i think there's something that uh, there's something kind of interesting there where where we talked about this before when when you date a lot of people you're like well this one had the best ears or i'm just trying to be (laughs) non-specific you know you see you've seen different things like this person was the funniest this person was the had the best ass or whatever you know and you sort of have this is like a frankenstein it becomes impossible because now the that person would have to have all of better than everything you know but in reality i think you can move beyond that to a place where you just appreciate because like okay so like before years ago I had that thing where I was like one day I will meet that person and then every relationship I had I was like this is the one and now I've met that person and we have that thing and I had some really really traumatic breakups and and you know we met Nicole and I met and we just get on really well um but I don't have that need to put that much weight on it that's like you know this has to last forever this has to be everything it's more just like just nice without do you know what i mean i don't want to make it sound it feels like, natural it's just it's natural as breathing 
no but like i feel i feel kind of the same like you know i'm and maybe it's it comes with being in a relationship that's been going on for like a few years like maybe like a year into our relationship um i would have had like i would have been i don't know a little bit more like tense about the idea of being without See, you because i because i'd had like a lot of seriously i was more like because i wasn't looking for anybody when we met actually i was single and happy about it for the first time in my entire life and then i had to come in and fuck <laughs> that all up. up no but i mean i was i was also doing lots of silly things that i shouldn't have been doing but but um i guess what i'm trying to say is like i don't know i don't i don't hold that myth anymore in my head that you don't. we have to hold each other's hands as one of us passes away and then the other one takes the cyanide from the, mm. the bathroom cabinet well you don't know you're not there yet i don't want that though doesn't appeal well, to me. maybe if you're single again you'll have those feelings will come come up i don't think i w- i don't think that they would you know i often say to nicole if i was single again i wouldn't want to date anyone after this i don't think i would ever want to date anyone again which sounds very sweet when yeah you have- because no <laughs> one could compete that's how i'll interpret that <laughs> <laughs> well it's not i don't i'm not saying like i'm not saying the opposite either. i just yeah. want to fuck everybody no it's not that at all it's just that i just don't feel like i would have the need to anymore because gro- growing up all my life i was like i'll meet someone and they'll fill the thing that i've been missing mm-hmm. and what i realized in grieving really profound relationships that ended is that you know it's an illusion you don't own anybody you know you could be they, that couple that you mentioned could be together their whole lives and then you know he could be like eh you're an old bitch and he could walk off and be with someone else it probably won't happen but it could you know you're never really secure in anything so so that idea that no no now this is the real one it's an illusion oh yes of course you never know you could have discussed all these things with your partner with your wife husband whatever like oh we'll stay together forever and then Tomorrow they run out and they meet someone new. It's it, it it's all precarious. Yeah. As I say, it's 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 luck. That's why I think. I mean, it's kind of like it's not why we're doing this podcast, but we like we've always. I've tried to in this relationship with Nicole. I've tried to be yeah. like more honest than is comfortable. Not like in a cruel way, but in a like let's be honest about how we feel because I've been there where you're trying to like it's the dream. It's but aren't feelings fleeting? I mean, you won't feel this way, you know, next week, or yeah. there can be a dip, and and there's something else that comes, and yeah. then a new feeling. Uh, the flexibility is the important thing. The yeah. the flexibility to be okay with that, to be to be okay with how you feel changing, and 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 how you talk changing. And, and you just hope that the well, I don't know. Like, if you're lucky, the other person will change in in ways that while you're changing, you'll be okay with, yeah. you know, what you turn into. Exactly. And like, then you don't look at them one day and go like, well, you've, you've become a prick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. But I've always very much liked Nicole as a person, which is also like, because we knew each other before we dated. And I've only I only had that once before with someone where we knew each other before, and with her, I thought I liked her, but I thought what a bitch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I won't I won't mention her name, but but um, but that was back when I liked people who were mean. Um, but I think I think liking the person that you're with is is very important, more than loving in a way actually, because you can love someone and think they're sh- oh just hate them as well or despise them, and that's toxic as 
fuck. <laughs> well, maybe we'll just say thank you so much for being gracious enough to uh, to share your wisdom and uh, and uh, erudition and uh, pleasure. All right. Well, I ask a psychopath, I get that kind of an answer.